0: Welcome back to the HR Grapevine podcast, the podcast series that takes an in-depth look at one of the most fascinating, important, or divisive HR stories that is making the headlines. My name is Sophie Parrott, online editor at HR Grapevine, and each week I'll be joined by a different HR journalist as we explore the contemporary practice and most pressing debates in HR within a short podcast. So, join me as we properly pick apart what it means to work in the people function. Today, I'm going to be joined again by Kieran Howes, Deputy Editor at Executive Grapevine Digital Media. So welcome back to the podcast, Kieran, as we unpick a pressing story for today's episode. So Kieran, I hope you're well. I know we've all had a very busy week with the second day of our HR Technology 3.0 virtual event. If any of our listeners did miss out on any of the sessions and want to catch up, you can do so at virtual.hrgrapevine.com. But kind of aside from hosting our virtual event, there has been, as usual, lots going on in the world of HR. So Kieran, before we kind of dive into the topic of today's podcast, what are some of the things that have caught your eye in the last week?
1: Well, yeah, as you say, Sophie, it's been a bumper week for HR news. uh, And on top of the event, which has obviously taken a lot of our attention... More companies such as Asda have taken a stance on hybrid working. And of course, we can't ignore the fascinating news that Iceland has confirmed that a significant portion of its population have trialled a four-day working week.
0: Well, I think that leads us nicely into our topic for today's discussion As Kieran says, one story that has been making the headlines this week, and it's probably something that our HR audience are very interested in, is the news around the largest ever trial of a four-day working week in Iceland, which researchers have since come to dub an overwhelming success. So for those of you that aren't familiar with the story, various publications, including The Independent, reported on the news that more than 1% of Iceland's working population took part in this pilot scheme, which essentially took the working week down to 35 to 36 hours with no reduction in overall pay. And this trial took place between 2015 and 2019, and more than 2,500 people were involved in this trial, which has since highlighted multiple benefits when it comes to operating a four-day working week, all of which HR might be interested in, particularly around how it could benefit the HR agenda and businesses as a whole. And because of the success of this trial, researchers have actually suggested that it should be tested in the UK. And Will Strong, who is Director of Research at Autonomy, was quoted in The Independent as saying, this study shows that the world's largest ever trial of a shorter working week in the public sector was by all measures an overwhelming success. It shows that the public sector is ripe for being a pioneer of shorter working weeks and lessons can be learned for other
1: governments. So it's a fascinating concept, Soph, and one that probably a lot of workers will be very invested in finding out the results of. But it's actually not the first time that we've seen the four-day week trial, is it?
0: No, absolutely. As you say. Although this news of a trial is on a more global scale, the topic of a four day work week has been brought into the conversation previously with employers in countries around the world wanting to find out more and to test this concept out. One example of that is Unilever, who is a multinational consumer goods giant, and they announced late last year that they would trial a four day work week across its New Zealand operations. Also, on top of this, earlier this year, we reported on the news that Spain was set to trial a four-day work week. So, it does seem that this concept is being considered more so. There seems to be more kind of talk and conversation about the the potential benefits that this could bring to both countries and companies. And actually, it does seem that the idea of a four-day working week is something that many would consider to be an attractive offering. And before the podcast, I saw a recent poll from Servation, which found that 64% of people across the UK would support the idea of trialling a four-day work week, with only 13% saying that they would be completely against it, and that was covered by Metro. Also, pre-pandemic, a YouGov study found that 63% of workers would back a move to a four-day working week. So I think it's clear from the data there that there is a general appetite amongst staff for this kind of approach. And like with anything, you know, HR will be interested to find out whether an approach like this is viable and also how it could benefit their agenda and the business on the whole. So to do with the Iceland trial, think tanks in both the UK and Iceland found that the trials boosted productivity and well-being. And as we all know, kind of improvements in productivity and well-being can have a hugely positive impact on business outcomes. I had a look at some separate supporting stats for this. So um, some research by Oxford University's SAID Business School and BT found that workers are 13% more productive when happy, which obviously can have follow-on benefits for the business. And separate data by the Social Market Foundation found that happy employees are up to 20% more productive than unhappy employees. So once again, there's a significant benefit there, and that was reported by a rewardian blog. The joint analysis also found that the perceived burnout and stress levels had been significantly reduced, which is also a promising outcome. And although, as I said, to begin with, the trial was done pre-pandemic, tackling burnout, as we all know, has been a top priority for HR to contend with in the pandemic year last year some data from LinkedIn's Glint found that burnout had doubled from March when it was 2.7% to 5.4% in April 2020. So I think it's definitely possible that the concept of a four-day working week could help HR with tackling some of the uh, particularly pandemic-related burnout or stress that portions of the workforce are still currently facing. Work-life balance was also another area that was identified that had been improved within this Iceland trial and again work-life balance is something that is not only crucial but something that many people have struggled with uh, throughout the pandemic Um, and this is kind of supported by Novotel data which found that almost 3 in 10 found it more difficult to switch off when working from home. So once again it's possible that an approach or concept like this could help with promoting a healthier work-life balance. So I think those are just a couple of potential benefits that a four-day work week concept or trial could have on HR and the wider business. Also, on the flip side, I think it's important that we dive into some of the challenges when thinking about a four-day work week. So Kieran, I think you've got more on that.
1: Yeah, as you say, Soph, there there are many benefits. But it is a concept that kind of sounds too good to be true, which begs the question, is it? Well, whilst the trial and license seems to have been a success, there are, of course, some caveats to the concept. So we went out to Charlotte Farrell, who's an associate solicitor in employment at Paris Smith, the, the law experts. And what she thought about it, as she noted, is that making such a drastic change means unpicking some of the contractual agreements between workers and their companies, which is, of course, no small task. She said that if the four-day week is based on reducing the working hours of workers by one-fifth, it also could obviously have knock-on effects for salary, benefits and pension payments that employees receive, uh, as well as only receiving four-fifths of their previous package. Depending on how holiday is calculated, it also could reduce that entitlement. She also notes that actually closing down the office completely for an extra day a week is unlikely to work for all businesses or industries and you know she points to law for for a good example her her industry as one that That just wouldn't be feasible for. And different working arrangements might work for different people within organisations too. For example, someone with caring responsibilities may not want to work four longer days if it affects their childcare arrangements or might prefer to work four normal days and take a pay cut for the extra hours not worked. Other employees, for example, might also prefer to keep their salary the same but work longer hours. We've seen by the recent shift to hybrid and remote working that such arrangements are not a one-size-fits-all situation. So businesses must, of course, be extremely cautious about making major changes without first consulting staff and seeing whether it's actually viable to them. They might be really surprised by what they find. I'd also point to the concept of burnout being a key factor here. Now, as you previously discussed, so in the Iceland trial, it seems that the move actually reduced burnout. But different working cultures do handle the obligation to get work done in different ways. And the last thing we want is to discover that people are working mandatory longer hours to complete work or having pay reduced with their hours, only to discover that that extra day off is still spent working. And this is obviously something that HR needs to be very, very conscious of because, especially at the moment, the threat of burnout among the workforce is huge. It also appears that some firms are already deciding that It's just not feasible for them. So a good example of that is the Wellcome Trust, which would have been the largest firm in the UK to actually trial a four-day working week. But it scrapped its plans for all 800 office staff, saying that it would simply be too operationally complex to implement. So loads and loads of interesting caveats to think about there, Soph.
0: Well, thank you, Kieran, for sharing the other side of the story with us and the insights from the legal expert there. And I think it was also quite a nice case study to end on with Welcome Trust. But unfortunately that's all we've got time for today. HR Grapevine wouldn't exist without your continued readership and engagement with our content, whether that's our daily newsletters, monthly magazines, webinars, live events, or market leading research papers. So to find out more or to sign up to our daily content newsletters, which showcases solutions and best practices. Answers to all of your HR issues. Please visit hrGrapevine.com.